has been a really hard time, hasn't it? And I think uh, for many people, it's been really difficult. I think what Marisa said there about it being surreal is so true for many of us as well. It's been just a very, very strange time, possibly, hopefully, something that we won't experience again. I hope that's the case. But as we've journeyed through this uh, second letter to the Corinthian church, I think a lot of what we've been looking at is very much ideas of comfort, ideas of us recognising the hope in Jesus Christ, the relationship in God, that, that whole centre. But I suppose like this move from, um, from lockdown into easing out into real life, this, this little section that we're going to look at this afternoon starts to move us um, from thoughts of comfort to thoughts of action. Uh, how do we actually live? Uh, how, what does holiness as a Christian look like? You might be joining us on a Sunday afternoon and the idea of uh, faith in Jesus Christ is just something that you're engaging with, thinking about for the first time. One of the things that I would say is that faith in Jesus Christ changes us. It changes the way we live. It reorientates us. It causes us to live in a different way, kicking and screaming a lot of the time we are changed and for those of us who maybe have walked this pathway for some time whether it's a short time or a long time i think that journey of that hope for what we see in galatians chapter 5 where the fruit of the work of the spirit in us love joy peace forbearance kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness and self-control we we want that to be worked out in us. We want to live like that, but that it, it's so difficult for us to think, how do I go about that? How do I think like that? And so as we're kind of moving from lockdown and really interesting, so much of our conversation as a country is about how do we move out of lockdown and be different as a result of that? How can we be better as a result of it? I suppose in lots of ways we might be thinking, well, how can we move out of this period of reflection and thought? Uh, and how can we live better as believers in Jesus? Or for you who might be thinking about faith in Jesus Christ, is this something that, that I want to consider? Is this something which is drawing me and recognizing that my life might change dramatically, but there is hope in my life as a result of, result of faith in Jesus. What are the implications? Well, our, our reading is really dramatic in the way that it opens up. Paul starts uh, Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14, this new section, um, with these words, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. That's a dramatic idea. It's uh, Paul's drawing on uh, that kind of agrarian society, the uh, the idea of tending the land and an idea which would be so common to everybody who would have received this letter. The idea of two oxen who would be yoked together, joined together, uh, and they would be pulling the plow behind them, heading in the same direction. There's two images that over the past week have really hit me in terms of the impact of not pulling in the same direction. One is fairly trivial. 
a sort of fascinating uh, tug of war between an electric car and a four by four. And uh, just about the electric car beat the four by four, which I thought was pretty amazing. But then on a societal level, across the world, actually, we see the terrible impact of the oppression of individuals by one race over another for centuries, resulting in demonstrations that Ash mentioned earlier on with that amazing picture uh, of uh, a black man who'd carried uh, a white uh, far-right protester who'd been injured on his shoulders away from danger. What an incredibly powerful picture. But also what an incredible indictment on human society when we face the reality that we seem unable to all pull in the same direction. It feels as if we are as a society unequally yoked. We're pulling in different directions. Society is. Siblings can be, marriages can be, businesses can be, work can be. In every environment of life, we find ourselves striving with pulling in a different direction, being, in the idea of Paul here, unequally yoked. And he asks the question, and this is the kind of move from idea and and concept and comfort and hope to action. He says, do not be yoked together with unbelievers for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? That's the dramatic language that he uses. And he says, this idea of holiness, this idea of living a life which is dramatically different, um, he's contrasting a life which is shaped by faith and belief in Jesus with a life which is faith uh, shaped with an unbelief in Jesus. How do we reconcile that? How do we reconcile good, righteous acts and unrighteous acts when he says, what does righteousness have in common with wickedness? Isn't the idea of a black guy carrying a white guy who's been injured and is his enemy over his shoulder, isn't that a good act? Yes, of course it's a good act. But is it a righteous act? Is it a holy act? That's a different question. One of the things that the idea of holiness throws out in our thinking as we unpack it through the Bible is this realization that holiness is not the good things that we do. It's the direction and the heart and the desire which shapes what we do. Even our good directions, the Bible says, even our good directions are ultimately wicked when the ultimate objective of that good act is not the glory of God. That's traumatic, isn't it? 
Isaiah says this in chapter 64 and verse 6. He says this. All of us have become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. He's saying, do you realize that when you do things, when you do good things, what, things that look righteous, when the motive, when the heart behind them is not the glory of God, but your own glory without even thinking about it, or certainly directed somewhere other than the glory of God, then they becomes they become, yes, good acts, but not righteous acts. So a life of holiness is not a life of doing good things. It is a life of desiring the glory of God. And that actually works out in a desire to do good things for a different motive goes on and he says what agreement is there between the temple of God and idols for we are the temple of the living God and as, as God has said I will live with them and walk among them and I will be their God and they will be my people this idea that those who are those of us who believe in Jesus are part of a, a different family and belonging from what we see around us there's a change has taken place are we part of our families in this world do we love our families in this world of course we do of course we love our families but but there is a different belonging we are now the temple of the living god god is saying what what is the temple it's where i dwell I think it's really important when we come to this little section where Paul says, do not be yoked together, that we understand where it comes in the letter and why he says it. It works a bit like this, I think. The previous section and the areas that we've been looking at over the past few weeks is where Paul has been recognizing that the life that he lives has been a life filled with hardship, toil, challenge, difficulty. But in all of that hardship, toil, challenge, toil, challenge and difficulty, he's not been ultimately defeated. He's not been ultimately crushed. He places this idea of not being unequally yoked immediately after reflecting on that. I think he's probably saying something like this. I, I, I've come to realize that if I had yoked myself to a group of people, to an idea, to an individual, to a, a, a mission or a goal, if I had really started pulling in that direction, shoulder to shoulder with that idea, if I'd committed myself to that, when the hardship came, when the shipwrecks came, when the prison came, when the difficulty came, when the opposition came, ultimately, because I'm pulling in a different direction and because I would be carried along by the one or the group that I've been yoked to, ultimately, I would have backed away from that hardship. 
I would have let go of that of that desire to pursue the great news of the message of Jesus Christ in this world, because that other thing that I am tied to, pulling in the direction of, would ultimately have been bigger and stronger. So he's actually saying, I'm not yoked to ideas in this world. I'm yoked to God. I'm tied to the goal of the Holy Spirit. Now, as it turns out, we've already seen that the goal of the Holy Spirit is a whole load of good things. Love, joy, peace, patience. It, that little section in Galatians, it concludes by saying this. There is no law against any of these those things. You, you will never legislate about the good outworking of the Holy Spirit. So what, I don't know the guy who carried the far-right protester who was injured. I don't know him. I don't know his background. I don't know anything about him. I don't know what, what was motivating that good act. And it was a good act. It was a good act in the world that we live in today. And it can speak really powerfully today. But the thing that moves that good act from a good act to a righteous act is the idea that the motive behind it was the glory of God. And it is only God who truly knows that motive because it is only God who can truly look at our hearts. And so Paul is saying, I want you to understand that when you yoke yourselves in a way which drags you in a different direction from the pursuit of the glory of God, you are putting yourself in a place which is allowing you to be dragged outside the temple of the living God. So let me remind you, he says in verse 16, we are the temple of the living God. And God has said, I will live with them and walk among them. He did that in Jesus. And I will be their God and they will be my people. He continues to do that in the Holy Spirit. And those, therefore, he says, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing and I will receive you. I will be your fa a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. What is what is God saying? He's saying, pursue being yoked to me. Pursue the desire that you are the place where I dwell. Where do we see this best? Where do we see the ultimate fulfillment of being truly yoked in that way? It's in Jesus. He was the ultimate spirit-empowered Spirit-filled, God-glorifying, Father-desiring representation of holiness in this world. He was yoked to holiness. He was seeking the glory of his Father. Everything in him was motivated for that. But do you see how he actually lived? He dwelt amongst us. He spent time precisely in the places which made him look unrighteous with prostitutes and gangsters and yet not yoked to them. He didn't shy away from engagement in this world. In fact, he entered into this world and rubbed shoulder to shoulder with the 
in human terms, worst of this world, where people actually accused him of being yoked to them, and yet we see he was never yoked to those ideals. He was yoked to the pursuit of the glory of his father. And when he did that, it allowed him to be in those places which look so bad and yet were so good. In fact, he was so yoked to the glory of his father that he actually turns around to one of his closest followers, Peter, and he says, get behind me, Satan. Why does he say that? Why, what does that speak about yoking? It's when he's saying, I recognize, Peter, that you are trying to take me to a different place. You're dragging me away. You're, you're not yoked to the idea of my father. You're not yoked to where I'm heading, to the cross. You're trying to take me away from the cross, Peter, and you don't realize how disastrous and how awful that would be for humanity because it is the very cross which gives you hope and you're trying to drag me away. And so I will be so direct as to say, get behind me, Satan. You are tempting me in a pathway which does not bring glory to my father and ultimate hope and faithfulness to the goal that we've committed ourselves to. So as we move now, little by little, towards whatever our new normal is, I think our, my prayer for all of us is that we might firstly perhaps desire that kind of Christ-shaped yoking and holiness that we might desire to live a life which is different to the life that we lived before. Not that we pull ourselves away from any situation perhaps that we're in, but that we live in a way before God where we can say, yeah, in all conscience, I am yoked to you and being faithful to you in the situation that I am in. We want sustainable changes in our society, but our society tells us that we can't sustain it. The pursuit of this holiness is the one thing that we can sustain. And the only way that we can see, move to that is by first seeing the glory of God, seeing the beauty and majesty of God. Hello, everybody. How are you doing? Welcome, welcome back, everyone. Thank you um, for those who are Hello. watching. Thanks for staying with us. Hi, Jude. Hi, Paul. Paul, thank you so much uh, for your word. Thank you to Marcel and Josh. I'm sorry again that I aired on the mute. Unbelievable. <laughs> they said it couldn't be done two weeks in a row, and yet here we are. <laughs> here we are. Uh, so my apologies. Rookie mistake. Uh, yeah, rookie mistake. So I'm sorry about that. <laughs> and also another rookie mistake. So. Um, we should have said, I should have said in the new section, um, we are planning to do communion um, at Christchurch next week. Um, so we will inform you in the email uh, about that. But just to say, um, if you can plan ahead, if you want to share communion with us, the thing that we're going to do, we'll, we'll have our church service as normal and then we'll break for intermission and we will come back. And after a very short word, short verse, we'll share communion together. So if you can assemble... Um, bread 
and wine, bread and fruit juice in your own home uh, in preparation for next week. Try and make some plans to share communion together with us. That will be brilliant. Apologies that that wasn't mentioned um, in the news. But there you go. You've got a week um, to prepare the bread and the wine. Okay, thank you, Paul, uh, for the talk. That was um, brilliant, really helpful, really um, a subject that I still uh, really wrestle with, is holiness. still really need to give it some thought. And just to kick things off, just wondered if, given the language sometimes that is in the Bible, particularly in the Old Testament, is this is holiness something that we can really expect to get our heads around and understand, do you think? Is this... Can we realistically expect to to grasp this? Is it just going to be something, or is it something otherworldly? Is that is it one of those things? Just one of these things that we have to accept as human beings? That it's an otherworldly quality, or do is there detail in the Bible that means that we can actually go, all right, okay, that's it, it's that. There you go. Who wants to jump in? I think um, I think what you just said there is really. But the way you started it just captures it really the fact that you're grappling with it and struggling with it is the bible isn't it i mean the old testament which portrays this striving towards holiness and expectation of holiness ultimately what it shows is that we can't achieve it we, we can't actually achieve it and then paul who's encouraging us to holiness also describes himself as chief of sinners so so we live in this tension i think and one of the healthiest places to be is paradoxically where we're actually feeling as if we're striving for holiness that we can't achieve we're desiring something which is otherworldly um mm. we, we will be made holy and we are being made holy but we become more shaped in righteousness by becoming more conscious of our own weakness failings unrighteousness and sinfulness so all right that's helpful so what is it then let me what let me what, ask an what, even sim what what is what is holiness what is it <laughs> what is this thing that I think it's interesting that holiness is one of the attributes of God that totally blows our mind and that we can't understand. And yet it's also an attribute that he chooses to share with us. Like he's, there are some things about God that we won't be like, but in holiness, he says to us fallen people, you can share, I am holy, just all of me is holy you can have glimpses of that and you can mm. share in that holiness with me. I think that's an incredible thing that we see in mm. holiness. So yeah. I think it's, it is awesome and it is out of this world and it is ah, such a struggle to get our heads around. But there's an encouragement, I think, in the fact that it's possible to share in some of it. Yeah. At yeah. least in Absolutely. this, you know, like there's tastes of it. Mm. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I think quite encouraging. I, th I think the other way to really, it, it sounds like a glib answer, but I think it's profoundly true. What does holiness look like? It looks like Jesus. That sounds like answer. you've been to Sunday school, Paul. I know. <laughs> I, I know. It's kind of like, but, but it is. And that the more we think about that, the more profound that is, 
that actually the expression of holiness in this world is Jesus. If if it's a, as you said, Jude, if it's an attribute which God shares with us, communicable attribute, um, we see it in human form in Jesus. And we're moving towards that, which means that that makes sense of us achieving an experience of holiness only when we are transformed to be like him, which is why being like him is such a powerful phrase when it talks about that moment when time and eternity are the separation is stripped away and Jesus returns and we are transformed to to be righteous to truly be holy we're like Jesus because Jesus is the representation of holiness in this world so, so I, I, it's a bit glib but it's not glib in the same at the same time I think we'll let you off then <laughs> <laughs> dodged it <laughs> um I I get slagged off for um giving my quotes so i apologize that there is another quote coming <laughs> but uh, grudem grudem says that holiness is um being set apart from sin and being motivated for god's honor which i think you really uh, brought home in your talk paul mm -hmm. that idea that the mission is god's honor and so that's why god's is holy because he's completely set, set apart from sin but he's totally motivated for his own honor and his own name because of yes. of who he is and you yes. see that in jesus then don't you like yes. set apart from sin but yes. motivated for god's mission god's honor and things like that so i, I quite he that was a good when i was uh, reading on that i thought that was a good one to uh, yeah, yeah. to quote sorry the idea of being separate, I think, can be sometimes we can d even describe it or do it wrong. I think I've probably I've been guilty of thinking of it wrongly. You know, this idea that you think you need to move away from everything, but as you said in your talk, Paul, the thing that it is that, and on the one hand, it is that, and on the other hand, it you have been thrown more into the world. At the you know, the, both things are true. You are separated to be something, God, you know, to be to go down this road of holiness and at the same time you are you exist here in the world and so it's, it's almost a bit of a, it's a bit of turmoil it's a bit paradoxical in your head because you think do i need to how do i do this how do i how do i follow this instruction do i need to lock myself away into the monastery to really um you know pray not eat food and pray for a, a fortnight just so <laughs> I, I get that or you know because if we give the example of jesus he's th more thrown into the world than anybody and yet he's still holy. Yeah, that's, I think that's not a question. Think, it's just a, it's a, yeah, yeah. a babble. I think it's one of those those things that it's a constant kind of pathway that we're walking, isn't it? It's we're, we're continually on this journey, and I think holiness is something that we desire. And I think the more we we grow in our self-reflective understanding of who we are as people, the more we realize those particular places where we are, we are vulnerable to live sinfully. And so there's times when we should, um, we should shun 
situations or contexts or thoughts because um, Satan is forever at the door waiting to devour us, as, as it's described. It's that kind of, and yet at the same time, we are also liberated to be even more embedded with the desire for God's glory in the reality of the world in which we live. Yeah. So, so I think that's the constant struggle that we, we find ourselves in. Where am I vulnerable and need, need to protect my soul? Mm. And where am I also liberated to live for the pursuit of God's glory in, in places when Jesus was described as a sinner and a drunkard? Because he was living, not abiding, not obeying in the eyes of people certain man-made rules that made him holy and mixing with people who loved a drink and were carousing um, criminal party goers. That's, that's who Jesus spent time with. Uh, and yet he didn't live like that. So, so I look at that and I think, I, I know me, and I couldn't, I couldn't probably put myself in many of the situations that Jesus put himself in, because I'm vulnerable. But I would want to be able to put myself in the situations that Jesus put himself in. It's that kind of, it's this constant yeah. tension of desiring holiness and desiring the glory of God. I think, yeah. which is. Why Paul ends up saying the reality of me is I'm the chief of sinners. And you throw into that mix that tension between trying to protect ourselves. And yet often for me, the times when I have re I have almost become more holy, it's kind of difficult language, but it's when I've realized how sinful I am. Yeah. Actually, when I try to be holy and try to be good and try to actually... Yeah. That's just me, my effort doing that. But yes. actually, when I'm, when it, the depth of my vulnerability, as you put it, or actually just the complete ability to mess up consistently, yeah, those times actually, in my realization of that and looking to Jesus in those times, that makes me more holy than yeah. my efforts to be holy. Does that, does that yeah. make sense? When you talked about Peter. Paul, that was really helpful because what Peter's in that example, what Peter's trying to do is a good thing. I think in in his head anyway, he's trying to look after his saviour yeah. the best way yeah. he knows how. Yeah. So in every sense that you'd humanly understand, you'd say that's a good thing, and yet it's mm. not a holy thing because mm. it's not in mm. you know not in keeping with God's will, which is really helpful for us. I think we do we do yeah. look first to think, oh, holiness, yeah, it's, it's doing the good thing, and yet mm. let me try and do that. that. Yeah. Sometimes that's uh, and, when we end up most missing <laughs> missing the mark. Uh, and yeah. then what, what you said there, Jude, I think captures Isaiah's thought. Where I'm when I'm pursuing doing good things, my righteous acts are filthy rags. Mm -hmm. Because I'm pursuing the good thing for the good thing's sake. When I'm or for my own my own glory almost yeah, yeah. the good thing that yeah. reflects back on me yeah, yeah. when i'm when i'm pursuing it for the glory of god i am i am not self-aware in, in the act i am god aware 
-hmm. my motivation is is reshaped i can none of us can achieve that way of thinking without without god changing us by the power of his spirit you can't do it and so we we throw ourselves back on him saying lord will you change me Mm. to be more like this I think, um, yeah. yeah, I think another thing that it is as well, as I think it through, is so this idea that it's separating yourself. But as we think about what holiness is at the same time, it's, it's like there is this thing that there is this God that exists who manages to exist separate holiness. You know, he exists. So we are, I feel like I, we're, we don't, we're not always aware of it, but we're so influenced by, you know, we've got little prejudices that sort of remain little unhelpful habits all you know we're so shaped by the kind of mess that's going on around us and yet this thought that um part of what god is is not threatened or shaped by any of the stuff that goes on Mm. that's just been really helpful for me in thinking through Mm. what holiness is but also who you know who god is you know in in this world that he's as i try and you know wrestle with it and figure it out he, he exists he's a being that exists he can he can sit above that and he's not corrupted like in the same way that I am, mm. and that that mm. is how he is mm. holy. And then that shapes. So, so my other question to you would be: How does this? How does it shape us? Do we? You know, how do we? How do we not get completely overwhelmed by the idea that we're on that road, or we've? You know, we're supposed to be holy. How do we not just give up at it? How and how do we not become? Um, how do we not just go right? I just need a bunch of rules to get through because that's the other thing we do, isn't it? How do how do I not? How do I how do I go about this holiness thing? How is it? How does it? How should it shape us? Yeah, it's something that um, I wish I lived more like this. But um, I heard John Piper describe his his morning prayer each day. He says, Lord, keep hold of me today. Because if you don't keep hold of me today, I'm done. I've had it. And I That's think his morning prayer. Wow. I'm sure there's more. <laughs> but, but that's a sentiment which I think is incredibly humble, self-aware, hmm. and pushes him into that Christ dependency, which ultimately will lead to a life shaped little by little, step by step, a little bit more like Jesus every day. Mm. So holiness, yeah. let's see if we can define it then amongst ourselves or, you know, grapple with it. It's, it's not good works. That was something you said. Um, and often in, in doing good works, we can end up and um, thinking that's what it is. We can ruin it. It's seeing us ourselves. Have I got that right? I think it is. It's something that causes us to look at ourselves as much as we look at anything else, or maybe more than we look at anything else. It's understanding that God is separate than us, and that we are being separated, although at the same time, we're to be that separated thing right in the middle of the mess. That's how God gets the most glory. Is it? Is there anything there that we've missed? Uh, it's all of those, but I think it's in lots of ways it's a lot easier. I think it's just... Our holiness is Christ-likeness. I I can't achieve that. I I need him to achieve it in me. 
I think I think that that kind of sums it sums it up in a way which all of those other things then play into the discussion in our in our minds in our thinking of how do we pursue it but righteousness and holiness is Christ likeness because he was the only human being who has displayed true righteous holiness in this world Brilliant. that feels like a nice um full stop at the end of the talk i hope that's been helpful um for you watching in um jude i just wonder would you mind uh just wrapping things up with a you know sending in us on our way uh, with a prayer please Holy, holy, holy are you, Lord God Almighty. And we are able to come before you and pray to you. And we're able to hear from your word. We're able to worship you. And so for this time that we've been able to spend together as your church today, we, we praise you and we give you thanks. And we ask, Father, that this week, may we look to Jesus. And may, as we look to Jesus, and as we see the depth of our own sin and the awesomeness of his holy righteousness, may we just depend on him May you change us by his spirit and may we be people who seek your glory and your mission in this world. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Have a great week, everybody. See you next week. Thanks, guys. Take Have care, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.